0: This is Bold Dominion, an explainer for state politics in a changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. Well, the last year or so has been rife with pandemic-induced upheavals. We've shifted our lives to a series of online interactions. Public school, telehealth, many white-collar professions. Heck, the producers of this very podcast haven't been in the same room together in almost 14 months. For a huge portion of the country, broadband internet access went from important to mission-critical infrastructure in the blink of an eye. But aye, there's a rub. There are a lot of digitally underserved communities here in the Commonwealth. Places that, simply put, don't have good enough internet. Nearly a quarter million homes and businesses in Virginia are unserved by broadband, which the Commonwealth defines as at least 25 megabits per second download speed and 3 megabits upload. That's just about what you need to hold a Zoom call that doesn't glitch out every few minutes. For hundreds of thousands of Virginians, there just isn't enough infrastructure in
1: place to hit those
0: speeds. For hundreds of thousands more, it's because they can't pay for the
1: service that does exist. I used to have to spend a lot of time talking to people about the necessity and the positive return on investment of building out broadband networks. Post-pandemic, that part of my remarks is largely dropped now. There is not a a great need to persuade people that this is an urgent and pressing issue. I still do think it's worth noting that this is not just an economic issue. This is a a moral uh, issue that goes directly to whether or not uh, we're gonna treat Virginians equitably. That's Evan Feynman. He's the Chief Broadband Advisor
0: for Governor Ralph Northam, and we'll hear from him later in the show about the specific policy initiatives that Virginia has enacted. But first, we turn to Dr. Christopher Ali. He's an Associate Professor in the Department of Media Studies at the University of Virginia. He specializes in broadband policy, planning, and deployment, and he sat down with Bold Dominion producer Rachel Leesendahl for a broad-ranging conversation on the basics of broadband, the role of lobbyists and citizens, and some solutions that might help us get broadband internet to all Virginians.
2: I think the reason broadband access is so important for Virginians is the same reason that it's so important for all Americans. I mean, something that we've learned during COVID is that broadband access was a matter of life and death. Those with high-speed broadband at home were more likely to social distance than those without broadband. I mean, we also know that broadband is essential to book a vaccine, right? Um, I think we've all heard horror stories of particularly elderly people who aren't comfortable using the internet having to phone in and try and get an appointment might be on hold for hours and then still be uncertain as to whether or not they've been confirmed for a vaccination. Broadband is also crucial for economic development, especially in rural areas. Um, It tends to lower uh, unemployment and it raises GDP. Um, It can also raise housing values. So if you have a fiber optic connection uh, to your home, it will raise your house's value by 3.1%. We know that broadband is crucial for education, specifically for this time in COVID when we've all been living and learning and playing and schooling online. But you know, for so many Virginians, including many of our peers and colleagues and students at the University of Virginia, they're so underconnected or have no connection at all, they're unconnected that they can't participate in meaningful educational environments. Broadband is important for telehealth. Broadband is important for precision agriculture. Broadband is important for public safety. I mean, broadband factors into every element of our lives. You need broadband to run your credit card at a gas station. That's a broadband connection. And we don't think about it that way. Oftentimes, you know, anytime we use our smartphone to Google something, that's a broadband connection. There really isn't a part of life that broadband does not touch. And I think that was made so apparent during the pandemic in which even basic things like talking to mom involves a zoom conversation or a FaceTime conversation because, you know, of shelter in place or shelter at home mandates. Um, So it really is the electricity of the 21st century, the water of the 21st century. Um, We need it to participate meaningfully in contemporary life.
3: What does the digital divide look like in Virginia? Who is it impacting and how?
2: The digital divide is impacting three communities first and foremost. One is rural Virginians, right? If you go south of Nova, or west of Hampton Roads, the rest of Virginia is incredibly underconnected and unconnected. I mean, even if you leave Charlottesville, you know, Albemarle County is not particularly well-connected although they're making some great inroads. So first and foremost, rural Americans are suffering from unconnection. What we see in urban areas is minority communities, uh, Black, Latinx, and particularly low-income, which often will intersect with other minority factors, they may have broadband that is available to them. They can't afford to subscribe to the broadband subscription. I mean, Americans pay the most out of any developed country for broadband. The average broadband subscription is $84 a month. That is unattainable for so many families on, who are on a restricted budget. And so what we see is that the digital divide tends to map onto existing social, political, economic, geographic inequalities. So all of those you know, communities that we'd factor into those are probably those who are also going to suffer from the digital divide.
3: Kind of looking forward of how to how to mediate this, what, what do you think it'll take to get broadband to all Virginians?
2: We need to think about it on, on two ways. One, we need to think about getting wires in the ground, right? So that's the availability question. We need to make sure that broadband is available to every household that is tremendously expensive. So fiber optics, which is kind of considered the, the, the gold standard, and that's what we want to really, you know, try and get to either fiber to the home or fiber to a tower that then wirelessly transmits internet to a household or to a series of households, that a fiber optic cable is about $27,000 a mile. And that's really why we see so much unconnectivity is just that these private companies don't see the return on investment because there's not enough people living in rural Virginia or rural America for that matter. And they're too far apart. So if it's a wire that's $27,000 a mile, you know, and you're only connecting two households, that's a lot different than if you're in Arlington or if you're in Charlottesville where you can connect a block in a mile, right? That's no excuse, but that's their reason why. So we need money to get wires in the ground. We also need money to subsidize broadband. These private companies, you know, are generally unwilling to lower their prices they haven't yet bought into this idea that broadband is a social good and a public good or a club good as it may be we're seeing some changes particularly we're seeing some electric cooperatives get into broadband provision and there we're seeing them deploy fiber at lower prices so i'm a huge fan of the central virginia electric cooperative they have a program called firefly it's going to roll into albemarle pretty soon that's made Nelson County the most connected county in Virginia. They're doing some amazing work and really thinking about broadband as that social and community good and not just like a toaster that you know connects us to the Internet like and we can pay whatever. So that's the one thing is a pot of money to get wires in the ground. The other is a pot of money to make sure broadband is affordable. But before we can do all that, we don't actually have a good picture of who is un and under connected in Virginia. The Federal Communications Commission's map is awful. Um, It tends to over exaggerate connectivity. So I'm doing a project right now where I'm doing some mapping with Virginia counties and we have found huge discrepancies. So in one county, the FCC says it's 100% covered with three broadband providers. The county is reporting to us that they are 10% covered with one provider. That's a huge discrepancy. So before we can think about spending what will need to be in the billions of dollars, we need to find out who is un- and underconnected. So step one, mapping, step two, wires in the ground, step three, affordability, not necessarily in phases like that because they all kind of need to happen at the same time.
3: I guess kind of returning to your comment about co-ops, could you kind of describe some of the current initiatives that are underway to kind of tackle this problem? Like what are the different approaches that localities are taking?
2: So there's a couple of ways. One is that uh, a lot of communities are looking to their electric cooperatives here in Virginia to provide that. And the reason why, you know, you would think, well, what does an electric power cooperative have to do with broadband? Well, it's because their substations are already connected with a middle mile of fiber. So they actually own a tremendous amount of fiber optic cabling. The idea being, could they just push it out and start offering a retail service? Now, that's easier said than done. And there's some cooperatives that have jumped into it, some cooperatives that haven't. Uh, Again, the most famous would be Central Virginia Electric Cooperative. CVEC has been the kind of the most aggressive and they've gotten a huge amount of funding and support from Nelson County to do this. So we're really seeing cooperatives step up to the plate. We're also seeing sometimes municipalities and counties going about it themselves and actually funding a broadband network. I think the most common one, though, is that we're particularly at the county level, we're seeing counties try and come up with some money. They might be using CARES Act money, maybe regular tax base, maybe they're bonding themselves to try and attract a private provider to come in. Uh, because again, these private providers are saying, no, you don't have a market. So if counties can say, well, but we can offer you this incentive, this financial incentive to come in, that sometimes that's successful, sometimes that hasn't been. Sometimes these communities just can't find a dance partner. And this is particularly true of the least dense communities. Powhatan County, for instance, just you know, is really struggling to find a private provider who's willing to, to provide for them. So yeah, so there's all these different methods and modalities, but I think the really important thing is that this can't be done simply by turning to the private market. These these counties are, are learning to either go about it themselves, find a cooperative, or offer some sort of cash incentive. So it's gonna end the digital divide is, what I've called an all hands on deck approach. It's gonna take counties, it's gonna take municipalities, it's gonna take the state, it's gonna take the federal government, it's gonna take private providers, it's gonna take cooperatives. It's gonna take entities that I don't even know about yet, but everyone has a hand in making sure we're all connected.
3: So we, we absolutely need a certain level of cohesion between federal government and state governments and localities. Are you aware of any state or federal legislative initiatives that kind of look promising to you in ending the digital divide?
2: Oh, definitely. There's tons. So, first of all, in the state of Virginia, we offer about $19 million in grant through the um, Virginia uh, Technological Initiative, um, and that's run through the governor's office or the the Broadband um, Office, which is associated with the Governor's Office. So there's that pot of money. Virginia also got, um, as many states did, a tremendous amount of CARES Act money from, a, uh, I guess, a year and a bit ago, and they parlayed $30 million of that for fast action broadband grants. So just trying to get money out into communities. At the federal level, we've seen two major initiatives, one, the Consolidated Appropriations Act gave several billion dollars to start a uh, emergency broadband benefit program and what that is is designed to subsidize broadband subscriptions for low-income families to at fifty dollars a month which is tremendous because the previous subsidization was nine dollars a month 9.25 so we're you know fifty dollars means you can might be able to actually subscribe to a broadband subscription and that goes up to seventy five dollars for tribal families which is so crucial because something we don't talk about enough is the tribal-digital divide, which is even worse than the rural-digital divide. We've also seen in the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, several more billion dollars that will go to schools, schools and libraries, because they've become such crucial players in in this capacity. Last but not least, uh, the president announced his ambition for a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure package and that I think he was Calling it the American Jobs Plan, that was promising a hundred billion dollars for broadband. And why that number is so crucial is that in 2017, the FCC estimated it would cost 80 billion to connect this country with fiber to the home. Now they were relying on those broad, those bad broadband maps. So now you know we're finally seeing the president get behind this and 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 push a hundred billion, which really if it doesn't solve the digital divide, it's gonna get super close, the closest we've ever been in history. And, and so I'm really excited, but he's gonna have a, a tough battle on his hands um, in Congress to get that through.
3: So one thing I'm kind of curious about is, is we obviously do need a level of private cooperation to, to close the digital divide. Is there anything that, that we're failing to do in terms of regulating internet service providers or or kind of just directing them towards what's needed?
2: Yeah, I mean, the problem is we don't regulate internet service providers, and and we don't because of uh, we got rid of net neutrality, which really means the FCC has a really hands off approach when it comes to internet service providers. What uh, what we found, uh, what this this became very apparent at the early days of the pandemic when a lot of people started losing their jobs and started worrying about can can they afford their broadband subscription? And the FCC, rather than tell or command. ISPs, not to shut off these customers and, and not to impose data caps, had to kind of go hat in hand and ask them to promise not to. And this became something called the Keep Americans Connected pledge. And you know to their benefit, most private providers signed on and said, yes, we will not disconnect you if you can't pay. We'll offer an affordable package. We won't uh, mandate data caps on cell phones and stuff like that. But that only lasted till June 30th. And now we're starting to see some rumblings about whether or not people will be disconnected because they can't afford to pay. And I mean that I when I say June 30th, that's June 30th, 2020. I mean the pandemic's been going on, and and while we're seeing economic recovery, you know a lot of families are still hurting, and now these companies are under no certainly under no legal obligation, but they're not even they haven't even made any more promises to keep people uh, connected to the internet, so. I, I, at the very least, I wish they had a moral incentive to keep people connected. But right now, until the FCC mandates net neutrality or at least reclassifies broadband providers under Title II of the Telecommunications Act, there's really nothing that we can do to make sure Americans stay connected.
3: Kind of going, going off of ISP, so obviously there's this huge profit incentive there. Do we see ISPs or the related lobbying organizations kind of working against local efforts to get connected?
2: Yes and no. I think that these, I'm going to be cynical here for uh, for a second, and I think that the largest ISPs are in it, they support broadband funding so long as they're the ones getting the funding. When it comes to opening up eligibility, for instance, do we fund cooperatives? Do we fund municipalities to offer it? That's when they get really salty. So there's a huge push against municipalities being able to offer a broadband, like actually municipalities actually becoming an ISP. Private providers are saying it distorts the free market. But of course, that's a little ridiculous because municipalities wouldn't consider being ISPs if there was a market that was functioning well already. I mean, if there actually was competition. There's also a, at, at the federal level, um, I mean, big controversy right now over the concept of overbuilding. And what that means is should the federal government if they've already funded one provider in one community should they fund another provider to build a network on top of that first provider and therefore stimulate competition is that the government's role to subsidize competition most isps say no but my gut kind of says they're saying no because it means they may not get the money in the next round so that's a big controversy going on right now and absolutely uh the kind of big lobbying efforts have weighed in on that
3: Last question. We'll go ahead and wrap it up. Is there anything else that you think Virginians should know regarding broadband? I guess kind of what they should be aware of in their own localities.
2: Yeah, a couple of things. I would say one is I would recommend every single Virginian run a speed test, and you can just Google broadband speed test, and so the first one that pops up is absolutely uh, the, a trusted, a trusted one. It's speedtest.net. Um, I, the reason I say that is because. ISPs, when they provide service, don't have to bill you on actual speed, they bill you on advertised speed. So I think a lot of Virginians will be surprised when they're paying for a package that gets 300 megabits per second download and they're getting 100 or less. There, there's nothing legally they can do, it's not, it's not false advertising, but they can certainly complain and also they can now start logging their speed tests with the federal government at the FCC website that is huge that we can finally see some crowdsourcing because for so long, it was just ISPs reporting data and then, you know, communities saying, actually, we're really underconnected or not served. And it was their word versus their word. And it just, it wasn't working. The other thing is to think about um, advocating for broadband um, at the county level, boards of supervisors are playing a tremendous role in broadband, either sometimes keeping it out or inviting it in. And I think that, you know, if you if you want to complain, I actually think that county supervisors have a bigger role to play in the next year than even well, maybe an equivalent role to play than than representatives. And of course, we should also be talking to representatives, especially when the infrastructure package is debated. Um, And of course, I'm always open uh, to talk to boards of supervisors or talk to community members who just need some advice about broadband. Uh, You know, I have a document called Everything You Wanted to Know About Broadband But Was Afraid to Ask. I think that's a good place to start if I could toot my own horn. And I love having these conversations, so always
0: happy to engage with any communities that want to talk. Dr. Christopher Ali is an associate professor in the Department of Media Studies at UVA, specializing in broadband policy, planning, and deployment. He's got a new book coming out, Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity, out September 1st from MIT Press. Stick around. In the next part of the episode, we're talking with Evan Feynman. He's the Chief Broadband Advisor for Governor Ralph Northam. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. Have a friend who's trying to figure out Virginia state politics? Well, tell them about this show. And then subscribe in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are served up. And while you're there, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. helps us out. Bold Dominion is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. Check out all the podcasts from the collective, including a new one called Teachers in the Movement. It's a podcast that features the voices and stories from educators who taught between 1950 and 1980 throughout the South. It highlights how their education work was an instrumental form of activism that influenced the civil rights movement. Listen to hear some practical advice and ideas for teachers, parents, and citizens who want to talk about race and democracy. That's Teachers in the Movement. Listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. When Governor Ralph Northam took office in 2018, he announced a plan to achieve universal broadband access in Virginia within 10 years. So how are we doing on that front? For that, we turn to Evan Feynman. He's the chief broadband advisor for Governor Northam, and he sat down with Bold Dominion producer David Hunt to talk about how our state government actually plans to get things done.
1: Since the governor has taken office, we have directly supported connections to over 140,000 homes and businesses. Additionally, through policy changes, enticements, and local and provider support, We've supported more than 100,000 additional non-state-funded connections being made. And then the private sector has continued to make connections as well. That is a really exciting amount of progress. And we know that we've closed a a significant portion of the digital divide. I think it's very likely that you'll see that Governor Northam will have accomplished more than half the job by the end of his four-year term. And in fact, I think folks will be very excited to see that we anticipate accomplishing the goal in large part two years ahead of Governor Northam's 10-year goal uh, with really just some cleanup in the second to last year and uh, no funding required in the final year.
0: What moves, what steps are in the works right now that you expect to have an impact on the number of people have access in the next few years?
1: Well, so the state broadband program really proceeds along three tracks. The first is making policy changes, and we're able to do that, you know, of course, pretty easily within the executive branch as our boss, the governor, is the director of the uh, executive branch. We also make policy changes in partnership with the legislature. And so we've done a number of different things to speed and reduce the cost of broadband deployment there. We also have stood up a large team inside the Department of Housing and Community Development that acts as advisors for local governments and units of local government. This is a space where uh, there were a lot of issues related to the ability of local governments to get good advice uh, and not rely on paid consultants who often over and underdelivered. The third, and this is where kind of the rubber hits the road or, or the, the fiber hits the pole, I guess, uh, we have our, our grant-making operation. And the, the reason we need to make grants is because a fundamental math problem has prevented the private sector from solving this problem on its own. And that is that a mile of broadband infrastructure costs effectively the same amount in Arlington as it does in Allegheny. The downside is that you can get a bunch of customers in Arlington, and there are far fewer customers to be had in Allegheny, particularly along any given mile. As a result, once population density drops below a certain level, it no longer makes sense for a private business or even a nonprofit to invest that capital there rather than somewhere else. So what the Commonwealth has done is buy down that capital cost by making one-time grants for the purpose of extending broadband infrastructure out into the world. And we do that through the Virginia Telecommunication Initiative, or VADI. That grant program operates annually, and so we work all year round to help develop projects. And then uh, in late summer, uh, we bring in applications from many, many different parts of the Commonwealth. Well, last year, it was more than 50 different communities were represented, by which I mean counties and cities, so a fairly large portion of the Commonwealth then we score all those projects and we award those that meet our criteria, you know, are fast enough, connect enough community anchors. And most importantly, our core metric is the cost efficiency of the project. Uh, What we want from applicants is consistent focus on cost effective delivery of these networks. And we've been very effective in that space. Our current program is about three and a half times more cost efficient than comparable federal programs. And our build times are much faster in general. Uh, awardees of our builds complete their build out between one and two years, whereas federal awardees have between six and eight years to complete their builds.
0: Something I'm also concerned about is is the cost to the consumer. What steps are being taken to make sure that broadband is not just accessible but also affordable?
1: There are two sides to the digital divide. There's the access problem, which is the question of whether or not you, you have infrastructure to get online, and then there's the affordability problem. The affordability problem is, without question, the more challenging of the two policy areas. We know how to solve the infrastructure problem. It's merely a question of political will and resources. On the affordability side, uh, we're really proceeding along a couple of different tracks. One is we've got a pilot right now with our Department of Social Services where we're hoping to build the architecture of a program whereby citizens with whom DSS, uh, sorry, Department of Social Services, already has a relationship, is able to uh, draw down any benefits that they already have available to them at the state or federal level, combine those, and then act directly as the payer on behalf of that citizen to an internet service provider to get them online. Uh, right now, that pilot is, is, has a very small amount of funding. Where It's mostly about figuring out the structure by which we do that and then working with our federal partners to, to get things in line so that we're able to do that. But we do believe that's going to be able to eventually allow us to aggregate demand among low-income households and then because you know DSS is a very reliable payer we should be able to entice even those ISPs that don't have low cost plans to offer service to that uh, aggregated group of low income Virginians that will be the primary uh, means by which low income Virginians particularly in rural areas uh, get service in denser urban areas we've worked uh, along a couple of different tracks there will be some work through the DSS model there will also be work to build out locally owned or controlled uh, networks uh, or to entice private sector network providers to offer free service to targeted disenfranchised or minority or low-income populations. Uh, We're frankly indifferent to the model provided the model is effective. What we want to make sure happens though is that where it makes sense to create new infrastructure to get poor Virginians access to the internet, we're able to do that. So we're optimistic that we'll be able to do that with forthcoming federal funds. But until we get word from the United States Treasury on how we're able to use those funds, we can't say for certain yet uh, that we'll be able to pursue that avenue. If if we can't, we'll need to find another way to, to get money into that program.
0: What are the significant obstacles on the path toward universal affordable broadband access in Virginia?
1: The biggest obstacle is the population distribution and math. The simple fact is uh, infrastructure is expensive by its nature, it is slow to deploy by its nature, and in areas where there is not gonna be enough revenue generated by that infrastructure, um, you simply have to find financial support. I think we are well ahead of our neighboring states, and in fact, our our sister states across the country. Uh, In this effort, that's largely because Governor Northam made this a priority prior to the pandemic, so the Commonwealth was already in the business of spending tens of millions of dollars and, and building out one of the, the country's most effective infrastructure support programs, where we have seen some real shift lately has been, you know, I used to have to spend a lot of time talking to people about the necessity and the positive return on investment of building out broadband networks. Post-pandemic, that part of my remarks is largely dropped now. There is not a, a great need to persuade people that this is an urgent and pressing issue. I still do think it's worth noting that this is not just an economic issue. This is a a moral uh, issue that goes directly to whether or not uh, we're going to treat Virginians equitably. The harms that accrue to communities that don't have access to broadband accrue most uh, aggressively and in uh, in the greater numbers to vulnerable populations. So the elderly are less able to age in place. Low-income kids are less able to avail themselves of good education. And in fact, all kids Uh, regardless of their income level and the education level, their parents have worse post-secondary outcomes in households where they don't have access to reliable broadband. So there is still some persuasion work that we need to do, but I would say that that obstacle has gone away. Remaining obstacles include one, uh, the fact that the federal programs and the state programs don't mesh very well. And in fact, you know, we, we believe our program to be superior. It's one of the reasons we were excited about the fact that the rescue act contains, so much money that, that we hope will, will have a great deal of discretion in the ability to deploy. Other obstacles include the capacity of existing construction and supply companies to meet demand. We anticipate that being an increasing challenge over the next couple of years. You know, The cost of fiber, the cost of transmission equipment, the cost of labor and trained crews uh, is all going to accelerate as there are more people vying for that same scarce resource.
0: Evan Feynman is the Chief Broadband Advisor for Governor Ralph Northam. Thanks to him and also to Dr. Christopher Ali for joining us on Bold Dominion this week. My name is Nathan Moore and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Big thanks as always to our producer, Arian Baloo. And thanks also to our assistant producers, Rachel Leesendahl and David Hunt. Find this show online at bolddominion.org. And go ahead and subscribe. It's just a click away. Hey, we're always on the lookout for topics for future episodes. You can send your ideas to our email address. It's virginia.edu. That's virginia.edu. You can also direct messages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hope you all can get vaccinated soon, and I'll talk with you again in two weeks.